Oh my goodness, it's October. <laughs> How did it get to be October? <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know where 2020 went at all, period. But you know, it's October. It's spoopy time. It's spoopy time. It's very exciting. I think we picked some good stuff for spoopy time. Even yeah. though we had originally picked this for not spoopy time. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but I think it lines up uh, pretty well, especially with, um, you know, all of the hype that still remains around all of the games and stuff that we're going to talk about. It's going to be great. Correct. And we can't talk about phasmophobia yet because, you know, we're too busy being addicted to it. At least I am. I, I've played once. And you played once? Oh, I've, I've played, played once a lot more than that. <laughs> with Asian sensation, and uh, he screamed in my ear oh, of for course. like over an hour. It was, of course. It was 10 out of 10, would do it again. Um, <laughs> but um, I, it's a game that I don't want to play by myself. Yeah. So. No, I can't play by myself. I have a good crew that have no problem playing off of stream. And then I've tried playing on stream with a bunch of different people. And it's been mm. it's been glorious so far. Um, so I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Yes. But we can't do horror stories on made up names. That's not how that works. <laughs> well, if you're just uh, listening, tuning in, you are listening to Herlocked Files, which is our true crime and gaming podcast. I'm Little Red, a.k.a. Zoe. And I'm Yubba Dubba, a.k.a. Abby. What's up? What's up? Um, but yeah, so we we are typically a monthly podcast. Um, of course, 2020 has been been a thing. The constant case of 2020 exhaustion is is real. Not even just exhaustion. It's quarantine fatigue and frustration and bad news bears all the time and nobody wants any of that. Correct. Yep. It just it just keeps hitting um, hard. <laughs> and we hope that we can give you a little escape because we enjoy cur- curating all of this. And we hope that it gives you, even though, you know, it's sometimes some downer stuff, also a nice escape and something different for your brain to think about for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think it's it, it's definitely like. The, the 2020 that's gotten in the way of of a more consistent schedule, which we do understand, um, can be difficult for for people who are interested in podcasts and need that next episode. Like we hear you. We understand. We are also those those people who need the next episode. Yep. Uh, we are doing our best with the with the snowballs that 2020 keeps throwing. Yep. And we appreciate your feedback, too. Yes. Thank yes. you. We just appreciate the support as well mm-hmm. um i know that for me i don't know what day it is anymore <laughs> i don't know if you feel that at I, all it's it's one of those i know what days are work days and that's really about it yeah right and like i i still have weekly meetings and i still have all these obligations that i know happen on certain days but i'm still in the what day is it what day of the week is it? What number day is it? And I'm still just, I have to check three times before I write anything down. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I just, I know what days are work days and what days are weekends. And I kind of have like some schedule that keeps me on top of like what day it is, but I have no concept of time passing. Um, I went grocery shopping and then this past weekend I was like, I feel bad that I, that there's like, I feel like there's no food in the house. Like, I feel like I have to go grocery shopping again. And, and, and mm-hmm. we just, we just went a week ago. Like how, 
how is this like sh- should we be going like i feel like that's spending a lot of money on groceries like to go and we just went uh no two weeks have ha- had gone by um <laughs> apparently since the last grocery shop uh two full weeks and i only thought five days have gone by so yeah yeah do yeah. i know what day it is sure how, do i know how how time has passed <laughs> not really <laughs> We are definitely in the time warp. Everybody stand up. We're dancing Rocky Horror. It's going to happen because that's how this entire year has felt. And you can do it because it's six feet apart because there's so much flailing. That's true. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then, you know, I feel like Dr. Frankenfurter really was a trendsetter when it came to wearing masks indoors. Granted, he was chopping up body parts. However, still very sanitary. You know what? Quite sanitary. At least... He wasn't spreading germs while he it's was true. doing it. <laughs> he was just spreading anticipation, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we've devolved into Rocky Horror Picture Show. Fantastic. Well, it is October. I feel like it's it today. Is. It is. <laughs> it just starts playing in the background. Yes. Um, copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need any more emails. God, no. <laughs> no please, no. <laughs> I actually didn't get any, but that's okay. I, I did. I'm. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, I missed scary, it. Scary DMCA emails, um, which are just confusing. I'm not I'm not going to be one of those people who's like, I'm going to sit here and complain why I can't do illegal shit. Um, but I will say that, like, the lack of transparency is, yeah. is not cool, man. Give me a guided um, tool. Give me some citations. Just something. Just, yeah. Or, just and, something. And, and, you know, like, the email is also really, like, dauntingly not clear. Um, yeah. Because their system works on strikes, like three strikes are out. Uh, the email makes it seem like everyone has three strikes already. <laughs> so you're, you're fucked, essentially. Yeah. Um, which to a person who's never gotten a strike on their account ever um, is, is weird. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Um, but this is not a podcast about DMCAs. So, Yeba, would you like to tell everyone what we're going to be talking about? Heck yeah. So we came up with the idea. And by we, I mean Zoe. And Zoe came up with a beautiful idea. Um, and we are actually going to do Dead by Daylight. Um, and we each chose three different characters, specifically three different killers that you can be in the game. And then talk about either the inspiration for the character or maybe something that could be linked uh, to their origin um, and kind of makes it uh, creepily tangible to the real world instead of just being <laughs> in a video game. So, <laughs> Especially because you can then go in the game and play these characters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And kill friends. Exactly. Exactly. And also, you know, play with your friends. And if you're the killer, kill your friends. So, you know, it's really it's really a good time. It's really a good time. All the Dead by Daylight hype forever and ever. Um. Uh, so, oh my gosh, I'm going first, right? Yes. Cool. Awesome. Fantastic. So let me tell you the three, uh, spoopy killers that you have on your docket from me. Uh, first off, we have Mike Myers. Second off, we have the pig. And third off, I love your sound effects, by the way. Third (laughs) off, we have the nurse. Stabby. I don't know. I don't have a sound effect I for just, that. I, yeah, it was just one of those, like, I I don't remember what the bubble heads in Silent Hill, like, they kind of make, like, like, that jittering weird sound. So I don't think they moan, but I don't know. I haven't played the franchise yet, so. 
don't at me anyway it's fine okay so it is october we're playing dead by daylight we're going to experience some of these killers in real world situations but don't worry most of mine are dead so it's okay cool 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 all right cool 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 all right, so let's start off with Michael Myers. Michael Myers, or also known as The Shape, has become one of the most recognizable masked killers in horror movie history, alongside villains like Ghostface and Scream, who was inspired by the real-life serial killer The Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling, and Leatherface in The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, who was supposedly based on the Butcher of Plainfield, also known as Ed Gain. Uh, Michael Myers is the prolific franchise antagonist of the Halloween series. Um, Michael Myers made his first appearance in the film Halloween in 1978. Uh, This is the franchise owned by John Carpenter, a legendary, legendary, legendary horror, gore fest, fantastic suspense, Marvel master um, as a director. Uh, So just for anybody who needs a recap um, and also... Please be warned that a lot of these have spoilers because I do have to tell the plot of most of these movies and or things where these characters are from in order for you to get why I'm bringing up the certain killers. So if you haven't seen Halloween, first of all, you need to freaking watch it. Uh, And second of all, I'm not really giving away too much. So in the beginning of Halloween, a six-year-old Michael murders his teenage sister Judith on Halloween in 1963. 15 years later, Michael escapes from a sanitarium and returns to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois. Funnily enough, this is actually filmed in Aurora, Illinois. The whole movie is. It's pretty great. He stalks teenage babysitter Lori Strode, uh, played by the infamous Jamie Lee Curtis, um, while his psychiatrist, Dr. Sam Loomis, attempts to track him down. After murdering several of Lori's friends, Michael finally um, attacks Lori herself, but she manages to fend him off long enough for Loomis to save her. Uh, at the end of the movie, as I will tell you uh, that this this entire franchise is now 13 Halloween movies deep. Um, even 13? though 13 this year, it makes number 13. So, what? yeah, 13 movies deep. Um, right, that's cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Um, current inceptions also include revisiting having Jamie Lee Curtis come back. There are mm-hmm. also different uh I don't want to say storyline breakoffs, but kind of storyline breakoffs, but new like artistic interpretations from uh, Rob Zombie. He actually made, I think, three movies um, out of that. I think he actually directed two and then was a producer on one of them. Um, so Michael just keeps coming back. He's he's here. He's ever present. Um, and I think what's important to note is that the killer, Michael Myers, killed when he was a child and then also killed when he was an adult. Now, John Carpenter didn't actually base Michael Myers off of anybody directly. Um, However, he does say that the legend for how he created this character and why he wrote this movie um, was uh, because he visited a psychiatric hospital in college and he met a child murderer who was 12 years old. um, And he said it was one of the creepiest experiences he's ever done. And the child had a very... Um, kind of kind of forlorn and longing stare. Um, the doctors called it a schizophrenic stare, um, where he's sort of there. Um, it sort of makes him look and feel invisible um, until that stare actually meets you. Uh, so that's kind of where he based uh, Michael Myers off of. So you oftentimes throughout the movie, you experience um, 
that wonderful soundtrack um, that accompanies the entire movie and gives you the direct and awesome suspense that is necessary. Um, but a lot of times you you may not actually see Michael Myers until you see Michael Myers because he's off in the distance, he's staring. Um, there's a lot of voyeuristic angles throughout the entire movie. Um, and in the game, Dead by Daylight, that is also part of it. It's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a stalking feature where you don't really hear or see the killer that's coming up to you until you do. The music kicks in, you know, he raises his knife and he's chasing you all the way around and he has a special little perk that allows him to speed up every time he does one of these things. And for any and for anybody who also knows the game, he also has uh, pretty faithfully realistic to the movie um, Maury's, the instant deaths that are also in the game. So obviously Myers is a great pick to be in Dead by Daylight, not only for having 13 movies deep and being a cult legend when it comes to horror movies, um, but also Myers is reminiscent of a legendary and very rare set of killers that start young. There are some fairly prolific children murderers, and by that I mean people like Michael Myers' characters who started young and continued to have instability and impulses to kill even into adulthood. So in researching this and finding a good fit, uh, I, I found quite, uh, scarily enough, quite a number of, of uh, child murderers, but I wanted to find one that was before 1978, and I wanted to find one that did exactly what Michael Myers did, the one that killed when, he, when they were young and then also killed when they were adults. That basically led me to the story of Peter Woodcock. Very unfortunate name, <laughs> but his name is P Peter Woodcock. Peter Woodcock is a Canadian serial killer and child rapist who showed signs of being a psychopath as young as the age of four. Whoa. Mm-hmm. He was an adopted child um, who lived in numerous foster homes as an infant and showed signs of severe emotional trauma uh, by the time he was age of three. Unable to adjust to social situations, he was bullied a lot um, up until his teenage years. By the time he was a teenager, Woodcock would use his bike to wander around the edges of Toronto and select his victims. In his mind, he would create this wonderful fantasy, and by wonderful, I mean awful, uh, fantasy where he led a gang of 500 invisible boys called the Winchester Heights Gang. So this is kind of where he would create an entire world to himself and be able to feel empowered to do whatever he could. Um, his foster parents were aware that he spent time wandering around on his bike, but were shocked to discover that Woodcock had actually been sexually assaulting children in the neighborhood and even as far as 15 miles from his home. Was he ever assaulted? Uh, so with a lot of these, a lot of, I mean, with a lot of crimes, um, especially when they're sexually motivated, um, there could be a link to someone, unfortunately, also being a victim of the crimes that they also perpetrate. Right, because um, that's usually the case. It is, very much so. Um, I couldn't find anything that concretely said yes or no. Okay. Um, this was, uh, so this was happening between uh, 1956 and 1957. So if there were... And he was the only one who knew or talked about it. I don't know how well recorded it could have been. That's unless fair. unless previous foster parents, you know, had been indicted for something uh, previously. I'm going to go under the assumption that probably yes, um, considering he was in multiple, multiple homes, even by the time he was 10. Yeah. And also, I mean, typically the link is that, like, I don't know, the link is that usually the people who abuse have been abused. So, Correct. Yeah. Yep. It's a cycle, which is why we have to end it. So he assaulted many children um, and unfortunately would end up killing three of them, and all of them were under the age of 10. 
Uh, the murders were carried out by strangulation, and Woodcock would often beat his victims and also forcibly insert objects where they should not be. Um, the first murder victim was Wayne Mallet. The Mallet's body was found on the early hours of September 16th. Um, oddly enough, a calling card where there were pennies were found ritualistically scattered near the body. And there were some signs that uh, there was some hesitation, but it eventually ironed out when it came to the other victims. But this was certainly one where it seemed that it was a test. Um, Toronto police initially arrested and interrogated another boy named Ron Moffat. Uh, through relentless questioning, they extracted a confession from the then 14-year-old Moffat. So they knew that they were looking for another young adult or another young teenager um, who could be per perpetrating this. Um, despite witnesses who clearly placed Moffat in a movie theater before and after the murders of, um, of Wayne, Moffat was found guilty and sentenced to youth detention. Eventually, police acknowledged that there was a serial predator in Toronto as more stories were coming up of children being sexually assaulted, but Moffat was not released. He would not be released for two and a half years. Oh, Poor kid was stuck in a youth detention center for two and a half years under the guise that he was the person who did this, even though things were happening while he was still incarcerated. Whatever. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Wayne was seven years old. Um, I think I skipped over that. Sorry. Uh, the murder of Gary Morris was next. Uh, Gary Morris was one of the oldest victims, both of the um, of the of sexual assault and also of uh, murder. Um, Woodcock was riding his bike around Cabbage Town, which was in the outskirts of Toronto, um, and he picked up Gary Morris. He then drove both of them to Cherry Beach, where he strangled and beat him to death. The coroner later determined um, that Morris had died from a ruptured liver, which is unfortunately also very painful. This time, instead of um, pennies, there were paper clips that were ritually sprinkled around and near the course, which was then another calling card. The clothing uh, of the victim had been removed, but it looked like he was redressed after he was killed. The last murder and the reason why Woodcock was caught was people saw Woodcock approach four-year-old Carol Royce. I'm sorry, Carol Voice. That's a hard name to say. Um, and offered her a ride. Uh, witnesses uh, definitely placed him last person at the scene. And when her body was found, the exact same thing. There were tree branches um, that were broken. Um, around her and scattered around her, just like the pennies and just like the paper clips. He was caught after being seen cycling away from um, the murder scene. However, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity after he was tried. Woodcock would then be sent to a maximum security mental health center. And as he grew older, he seemed less dangerous over time. Within both the lower level facility and the maximum security um, facility, he was officially diagnosed as a psychopath. He went under various forms of psychiatric treatment, including LSD treatments. This was the 60s. Oh, boy. Yep. Uh, and there were quite a number of drugs and treatment called dyads that are personality-breaking therapy in which inmates were challenged their belief systems internally. So they would identify if somebody was schizophrenic or had multiple different personalities, and they would under they would forcefully undergo like a personality breaking therapy, not only to reform them from their ill ways, but to also reform their different personalities. It was a very detrimental and uh, was later deemed very illegal and inhumane uh, treatment. Uh, these are the same treatments that were used and formed by former CIA interrogation and psychological warfare expert, Henry A. Murray. Yeah, like that's so messed up. Yeah, 
it's not great stuff. So in the lower level security facility, Woodcock, um, now going by the name David Michael Kruger, they changed his name uh, because of the crimes that he committed when he was younger. This was another form of reformation. Uh, this was to give him a fresh start because he was less dangerous. Um, he actually fell in love with a fellow patient who uh, then rejected his sexual advances. So in retaliation on July 13th, 1991, Bruce Hamill, who uh, was working with David Michael Kruger, a.k.a. Peter Woodcock, went to the hardware store, bought a plumber's wrench, a hatchet and knives in a sleeping bag, then went to the hospital that they were at, signed out Kruger, uh, the uh, Woodcock, and um, escorted him for the first time ever unsupervised in 35 years off of the lower security one. So he could leave, but he had to be supervised by someone that was trusted. And I'm using quotation marks because Bruce Hamill could not be trusted. So they then tracked down Dennis Kerr, who was the person that Woodcock was rejected by. Okay. And unfortunately, Dennis Kerr was then brutally beaten and murdered, completely mutilated, cut him open, and then shoved into that sleeping bag. Hours later, Kruger then left the scene, walked to the nearest police station, and turned himself in. But the person who checked him out was with him when he did the this? The person who checked him out was not only with him, helped him with the murders, and then after Kruger was done, Slash Woodcock said, okay, and then just went back to the police. For why? <laughs> Never said, never said, but decided that that friends? was how he wanted like... to do that. So Care and uh, that that's K-E-R-R. -R. So Dennis Care and uh, Kruger had met each other in the facility. And that's the only reason that they knew each other. So okay. Care was already out. Care was already okay, out so when all of this happened. Mm -hmm. He got and... out, but they had met in the facility. And then they were like, hey, let's go kill people. Yeah. And then Bruce <laughs> Hamill, who was kind of roped into this, because Kruger somehow convinced him to not only buy all the stuff, but check him out of the facility, met up with Karen, and then killed him. So uh, after that very baffling case, he was then transferred back to a high security facility where he passed away 19 years later at the ripe old age of 71 from natural causes. And that is the story of Peter Woodcock, also Whoa. known as David Michael Kruger. So wait, so Bruce was someone he met in the mental... Place? Bruce was not someone he met in the mental hospital. It was somebody who he connected with from the outside who helped him do all this stuff. Because you can't, an inmate can't check out another inmate. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so so Bruce wasn't a mental person. He was nope. just, or sorry, mental patient. Correct. He was just a friend on the outside that was like, Correct. let's go murder people. Correct. And then Dennis was the one who he met on the inside. Correct. Who, who rejected him, who rejected then him. was released, was and released. then they went and tracked and then, him down. Okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, followed that, that really poorly. <laughs> no, uh, I probably didn't explain it very well, so it's totally fine. And that was literally the, the first day and the only day he was out in public release in 34 years. And that's oh what he decided God. to do. And he yeah. just went, he was like, bye. That's what he just decided to do. Like, that's that's what he decided was was worth his time. You know, Never... most people would go and get like a burger or something. Something. Go sightseeing. Go to Niagara Falls. Just do something different. <laughs> so just do something different, damn it. Um, so, yeah. So that is, that's the story of Peter Woodcock, who, who died or who uh, killed um, both as a child and as an adult. Hmm. 
So pretty decent encapsulation of Mr. Michael Myers. But he's actually dead and not returning to another movie. So it's okay. So it's okay. All right. So that is the story of Michael Myers. Second up, we have the pig. Love your sound effects. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so the pig, also known as Amanda Young, is a character from the horror game, obviously called Dead by Daylight, and from the horror film um, Saw. The first franchise or the first um, movie of the franchise was released in 2004. Uh, she initially uh, was planned to be only a part of the first movie. But after the large success, she actually becomes a reoccurring character. I'm going to I'm going to briefly go into uh, her backstory so you also uh, understand um, about it. So for those of you who don't know what Saw is, Saw is follows the story of Jigsaw, who is a serial murderer who captures people that he would like to quote unquote reform. And he locks them into these very intricate puzzles that if they don't solve or morally absolve themselves in time, they die. Um, so a lot of people remember the, um, you know, the sawing off the limb, pun intended, uh, in order to get to certain things. Um, Amanda's case, uh, for instance, she had the reverse bear trap put on her head that was connected uh, both to her mouth. So when it opened, it would actually rip her head in half. Um, lovely. So what she was told was you have to go to this dead person who's in the same room as you and you have to go into their stomach to get the key out. Turns out the person that was in the room with her was not dead, was actually heavily sedated. So she had to go through this moral quandary of, am I going to search a dead person and get this key when in fact it's, am I going to disembowel this human in order to get this key so I can live? So very important uh, to know that. Uh, and however, at the end of the movie, she lives. She ends up cutting the dude open. She ends up getting the key. She ends up getting out of there. So why is she a recurring character? Well, this is where things get interesting. Amanda Young, uh, unlike most horror heroines, uh, specifically like Lori in Halloween, does not maintain her good protagonist status. She actually goes back to John, a.k.a. the Jigsaw Killer, and becomes an apprentice. So from all of the movies moving forward, there are eight of these movies, by the way. There are eight Saw movies, which still blows my fucking mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because... I mean, it's a low budget. It, it's the perfect it's the perfect case study of a well done horror franchise that costs absolutely zero money to produce because that was a very limited set. It had did not have a bunch of actors. There obviously was pretty good production when it came to blood, guts and gore, um, which obviously you have to have when it comes to a horror movie, horror and suspense. And so, uh, of course, they can keep remaking this. They just put these people in these tiny rooms and film them going absolutely insane, trying to survive this absolutely equally insane killer. So as we see her in Saw 2, she actually participates in luring and convincing new victims to enter in a literally rigged gas chamber house. Eventually, throughout the series, we see her going off script where she's no longer looking to reform the captives like John is, and she starts making inescapable traps in order to actually just kill people. She doesn't care about the modus operandi. She does not care about his mission. She doesn't care about any of that stuff. And she joins in to start killing because she feels she has the power to do so. Her signature remains the bear traps that she was also trapped in in the first movie. And that is also what the pig uses in Dead by Daylight. So the pig will attach in the game, will attach the bear trap to you and also slice you with knives. And you have to go around two jigsaw puzzles and you have to start 
I don't really know what they do in the machines, but you basically just like with the generators, you have to do a skill check in order to get the headpiece off. If you leave with the bear trap on once the doors are open, you die. Whoa. So you have to get the bear traps off in order to escape. I've played I've played Dead by Daylight before, but if I haven't played that much because I was really bad at it. Um, <laughs> and um, I did not play with the pig as the killer, so I don't know any of Oh, this. yeah. No, the the um, I think the pig is actually my favorite killer to get. That's crazy. Because she does she does a lot of like skulking and stalking kind of like Michael Myers. Um, but I think the the mechanism with the reverse bear trap and then you have to do the other skill check mechanism to get it off in order for you to leave. So yeah, so and if you leave, like you die, like that's in, exactly that's, that's great. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And um, and in uh, true to the word, um, some of the other characters in the Saw movie do wear pig masks. So that's why she gets called the pig, because mm. there are pig masks uh, that are really gruesome in the movie, by the way. They do wear pig masks um, in them, hence why she gets the name. And that's also the the uh, moniker that she goes by um, throughout the throughout the movie. She does sort of taper off towards the end of um, where they're at now with the franchise, but she's still an active part uh, in terms of her role. Uh, but she's definitely 100 percent active with the movies from one through five. Um, so she's she is she is locked in like good for Shawnee, who is the actress, like good for her. So with this one. In my research of finding uh, likened uh, horror ones, I couldn't find. I, I I could have done ones like with Eileen Wernos, who sort of had her girlfriend in on things, but it really wasn't an accomplice, quote unquote. Mm. Um, so I wanted to find stories of serial killers and people who wanted to enact power over people and also had power over accomplices. Um, who were able to control the entire situation, both victims, accomplices, and in sometimes the police because their cases were so baffling. Or unfortunately, in one case, the police didn't really give a shit. So um, I definitely wanted to to pick some uh, likened type of murders, ones that in, included um, torture and ones that included kidnapping, uh, but also with accomplices because it's fascinating. So not a good type of fascinating, but a fascinating. So I'm going to start, I mean, both of these guys are pretty much bastards, but I'm going to start with the bastard that I I wish we could have fried. So we're going to do the Toy Box Killer. The Toy Box Killer is not to be confused with the Toolbox Killers, because there have unfortunately been (laughs) multiple types of bastards who thought that this was a good fucking idea. Oh, God. Yeah, I hate men sometimes. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all men they're all men bt dubs spoiler alert well i mean that's okay during my research i was like why are there so many corrupt cops so yeah um, yeah it was just yeah. it's ugh. yeah yeah it's just awful anyway um not anyway but also just another ugh. so this is a toy box killer also known as david parker ray um david parker ray was an american kidnapper torturer rapist and suspected serial killer Unfortunately, there were no bodies or body parts found. He was accused by his accomplices and several survivors um, as being the chief uh, person who may have killed up to 60 women in Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, I'm going to repeat that number. That's 60 women. This is all uh, located around Elephant Butte and Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. 
I mostly wanted to say truth or consequences mean New Mexico because I cannot believe that is a real place. <laughs> so this motherfucker uh, decided to soundproof a truck trailer that he nicknamed his toy box and equipped it with items used for sexual torture. This included whips, chains, pulleys, straps, chairs, clamps, leg spreaders, surgical blades, saws. He even had mirrors all around so he was able to get as many angles as he could. Um, and he had a homemade electrical generator that he probably used to electrocute um, his victims. So uh, while living in New Mexico with the help of accomplices, he is alleged to uh, have kidnapped women from uh, areas that he was in. He would lure them in while being with women he was dating. There are multiple women who he was dating who have been a part of these types of activities. Along with numeral, uh, numerous torture uh, implementation implements, um, he was also found having syringes with unknown cocktails of chemicals and detailed diagrams showing ways to inflict pain. He actually made a torture book that he said that he would share with his accomplices in order for them to join in on the fun. Uh, needless to say, this dude was a really sadistic fuck. And to top everything all off, one of his modus operandi that he did is he would actually prevent any woman who he did not kill from reporting crimes by drugging them with agents that induced amnesia. Uh, one of the only ways these uh, the women who eventually and sometimes remembered, a lot of them didn't actually remember until his arrest happened. And there was at least one survivor who was coherent enough to talk about what happened and that actually triggered a lot of people um, who were still alive to actually remember what happened to them. The women uh, definitely remained uncertain, which also made them unavailable to go back to the police. They just thought it was nightmares. And uh, it wasn't until um, one woman had actually contacted the police that called in the FBI that over 100 agents were able to swarm where he was and were able to find all of his implementations and torture chambers and uh, everything else. However, they were still not able to find any bodies. So um, a lot of missing women reports were attributed to him, especially in that area, especially during the times that he was active. Um, but he was not convicted of murder. He was only convicted of kidnapping and torture and rape. The woman who brought um, Parker down was Cynthia Virgil. She's a freaking hero. And she was the one who was the most coherent um, and, and thankfully alive. And after a very public plea and arrest, more victims started coming forward. This uh, was also when they learned, because of Cynthia Virgil's account, that uh, that uh, uh, David Parker Ray's girlfriend at the time was the one who was helping hold her hostage while he was at work. Oh, so she was like in on it, in on it. Correct. The girlfriend was in on it. Um, and the, it w the, the one article was kind of nice and said that the key to the truck was left very close to Virgil. So they think that the girlfriend was scared to actually go against Parker Ray and helped elicit something to happen, but didn't actually be a, a uh, active participant. I think that's bullshit because she 100% tried to attack her and tried to go after her with an ice pick. So it could be, what? could not be. But at the same time, I, I don't feel like we should give a woman too much credit for letting A, this happen and B, also chase after one of the victims with an ice pick. So that's yeah, just Yeah, that just seems sus. <laughs> very, very, very. 
So um, there were two other accomplices then that were also uncovered in the investigation, including Ray's daughter, Glenda Jean, also goes by Jesse, and Dennis Yancey. Um, so this was the first time they also saw that it was there was a male accomplice that was also with him uh, when he did this. Yancey, Dennis Yancey, admitted to strangling uh, his former girlfriend, uh, Marie, Marie Parker, after Ray had kidnapped and tortured her. So he basically led her, he led his own girlfriend to Parker Ray, watched her get tortured, and then he killed her himself. Jesus. So, yeah. So again, I'm looking for really weird stories with accomplices, and this one hit <laughs> all the marks. Um, yeah, seriously. So Yancey was convicted of second-degree murder um, because he did at least admit that he did strangle them. Uh, however, they still were not able to find the body, but he did at least confess, and he did also uh, plead guilty. He was also uh, found guilty on first degree on conspiracy to commit first degree murder because of how much uh, planning was happening. But because of his uh, plea deal, he was sentenced to the minimum of the prison terms uh, for when it comes to that. So he only got 30 years. So he got two 15 year sentences. What? Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem like enough. <laughs> no, it does not. So um, uh, oh, I already mentioned that they examined the property. There were no human remains found. Um, so as so Ray was convicted of the kidnapping and torture um, of a woman in 2001, uh, Virgil, for which he received a very lengthy sentence. However, he was not convicted of any associated murders that may have happened. <sighs> David Parker Ray died of a heart attack about one year after his convictions on two more cases, the second of which resulted in a plea deal. However, because he's dead, they were not able to attribute any of the other potential murders, rapes, or tortures that did happen in his name. So again, it's alleged to be up to 60 women. Uh, we do know of, I think, at least 10 survivors um, that came out of it, three of which um, were able to be uh, put through um, for trials and were able to, to at least be against him. And he was actually, he actually died on the way to a trial. So oh, he died on the way um to doing that and back in 2002 the universe was like my court bitch <laughs> fuck this guy yeah <laughs> all right so um this next one is also upsetting <laughs> yay yay um so this is one that's actually fascinated me for a very long time uh mostly because it falls into the trap of just uh, and it kind of falls in uh, david ray Par david parker ray had a similar thing where some of the women that he picked up and some of the women that are alleged to be some of his victims were sex workers, um, were drug addicts, or, or were uh, potentially easy victims and unfortunately easy victims to forget. So Dean Coral, in our next story, also uh, falls into uh, the John Wayne Gacy predatory area where his victims of choice were people who were, were, were teenage boys and young men um, who were either um, ostracized because of their um, sexual orientation or were deemed expendable because of their life choices um, or were deemed runaways because of the time frame that all this happened. This happened in the 1970s. So, um, so with this, we're going to go into the story of Dean Arnold Coral. Dean Arnold Coral was an American serial killer who abducted, raped, and tortured and murdered teenage boys and young men between 1970 and 1973 in Houston, Texas. He was aided throughout the entire time by two teenage accomplices, David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. If you know 
from Mindhunters, Elmer Wayne Henley does become pretty significant. Mindhunters? Yeah, Mindhunters. And there's also going to be a documentary that's going to come out about this guy. So why am I blanking on the Mindhunters thing? He has a Netflix special that's coming out. And then they sort of referenced him in they, they referenced him in one of the episodes. And I don't remember which season it was, um, but it sort of glossed over it when they when they when they sort of were talking about um, serial killers and how influential and charismatic they could be. OK, so it was more of like a it wasn't like a pinpointed thing. It was kind he, of like I don't reference. remember. I don't remember them. Well, obviously, you'll you'll learn why they they didn't um, they didn't interview him. You'll learn about that. Uh, when it comes to Dean Coral specifically, but there, there definitely is, um, is some, it's a very, it's a fascinating case, but I will, um, I might actually have to look up that one part real quick and then come back to it. But the crimes that Coral, Brooks, and Henley committed are known as the Houston mass murders. They came to light actually after Henley fatally shot Coral. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was in 1973. And upon that discovery, um, it was considered the worst example of a serial murder in U.S. history, especially one that went so undiscovered for as long as it did for almost three years. Coral's victims were typically lured um, with an offer of a party and were also lured into cars in order to go to said party. Coral would drive around with both Brooks and Henley in the car in order to appear more appealing and friendly, um, especially to his younger victims. Some of his older victims, he only ne- he only really needed to have one of them along in order to seem less threatening. Weird. Right? They would either be, uh, each of the victims would either be restrained by force or deception. So sometimes there was some sexual play that was um, added into it, um, at least the the um, teasing of it that wasn't actually accurate. Um, and each were killed either by strangulation or shooting with a 22 caliber pistol. Coral and his accomplices buried 17 of their victims in a rented boat shed, Four other victims were buried in a woodland area near uh, Lake Sam Rayburn. One victim was buried in a beach in Jefferson County, and at least six victims were buried in a beach in in the Bolivar Peninsula. Brooks and Henley um, confessed to assisting Coral when the cops came after Coral was killed. Um, And they also um, said that they were, uh, they admitted to being a part of several abductions and were present for the murders and sometimes also participated in the murders. They had no problem coming clean once this dude was gone. Oh, wow. So um, Coral, Dean Coral was known as the Candyman and he was known as the Pied Piper because he and his family had previously owned and operated a candy factory in Houston Heights. (laughs) Um, he was also known around the neighborhood to uh, be very friendly and was seen giving free candy to many of the local children. I know the saying don't say or don't take candy from a stranger is because of the story of Charles Brewster Ross, which happens in it, it happened in like the 1890s. Like it was a long ass time ago and people have been using that phrase ever since. But honestly, mm-hmm. it could be used for this story, too. Coral was known to have killed at least 28 victims, just like with John Wayne Gacy and just like with a lot of serial killers before him. Um, That's just an estimation, and they think that there could have been other dumping grounds. But they can confirm at least the 28 victims once they dug up because of Henley and Brooks' cooperation. All of his victims were males between the ages of 13 and 20, majority of whom uh, were in their mid-teens. Most victims were abducted from the same neighborhood of Houston Heights, which was a lower income neighborhood 
uh, northwest of downtown Houston. Several victims were friends, were actual documented friends of one or both of the accomplices, Henley, Henley and Brooks. So they basically killed their classmates. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And two of the victims had also been former employees of the Coral Candy Company. That's another reason why they, they started narrowing it down to him and were able to corroborate both mm-hmm. Henley and Brooks's story that Coral was the one who did this. Um, when Hen- when Henley and Brooks were actually arrested, the cops didn't believe them. The Whoa. Cops, the cops were actually pointing almost everything exclusively at Henley, um, who was a teenager at this point. Like, right. he was he was not a grown-ass man. Um, and meanwhile, Dean Coral was a uh, discharged... Um, he was discharged from the Army. Um, he was home, I believe, after Korea... And he was known to be, he was known to have do all these things that we would see as being predatory, talking to children, driving around the neighborhood, often having children with him, you know, just real creepy, creepy ass shit that probably should send up red flags that didn't in the 1970s. Right. So um, with Coral dead, Henley and Brooks were tried separately for their roles in the murders. Henley was brought to trial in San Antonio on July 1st, 1974. He was charged with six murders because that the, those were the only ones they could get indictments for from the start. Um, and they were the best ones to do because there were dozens of witnesses that could also talk through and say, yes, Coral was with them. And also Henley and Brooks were friends of so-and-so. So they found the six closest um, victims to both Henley and Brooks. And those were the ones they did. Henley ended up getting one of the largest sentences known to man where he was able to get 594 years in concurrent prison sentence. What? 594 years. How did he get 594 years, but that other dude only got 30? So so this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) None of this makes sense. No, and remind you, he he was coerced to do a lot of this. Like, like they, they, they oftentimes talked about how once they were in and once Coral did this in front of them, they had they felt like they could do nothing else. And right. Coral um, or Henley had mentioned he killed Dean Coral because he thought he would be next. So mm. it, it, it wasn't really like, I'm going to stop these murders. It's just like, OK, well, when is it going to be my turn? I'm 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 literally running out of friends for him to. Kill. Yeah. And, and I'm like, here. he's and obviously like I'm a wit- like he's a witness. So like yes. you gotta at some point get like tie up your loose ends if yep. you want to like not get caught. So and Dean Coral yeah. was a was a real arrogant motherfucker thinking that he could have two accomplices who were teenagers who then grew up with him while he was doing this for three goddamn years and was just secure enough in his whatever to think that they were not going to do anything or say anything. Well, we don't actually know, though, because he probably could have been teetering on the edge of they're getting getting old enough where I can't control them, you know, and and could have been not arrogant in the way of like thinking that these kids weren't going to rat him out at some point. Exactly. So um, out of this entire story, oddly enough, Henley is the only one who's alive. Brooks served his life sentence. He also received a life sentence, not nearly as many years, uh, uh, by the way, as Henley. But um, he was uh, serving it in uh, Gal- in a Rosheron, uh, uh, Texas. And he actually died this year, May 28th, 2020, related to COVID. What? Yep. So freaking David Owen Brooks died of COVID this year. 
absolutely insane. Henley's still alive. Henley's still alive. Hence why there's, there's, you know, a Netflix special coming out about this dude. But yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, Henley is still serving his life sentences. Obviously he has like 570 years to go. Yeah. Um, And uh, he's in Anderson County, Texas. Um, He's, he's at a, he's at a high security prison. Um, So, I think with what we've learned, at least from Saw and what, I, what I've learned from researching the pig is that serial killers are scary, but sometimes what's even more scary are the people that help serial killers. Yeah. Because like freaking Parker Ray had multiple accomplices who were all different people who were all dating him, who were all somehow enamored with this motherfucker and were able to be a part of his escapades. Yeah. To just get his own okay daughter to do stuff with him. Father, bring your daughter to work day. Yeah. Oh, yikes. But also, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. Uh, it's so true, though. It's so true, though. So, yeah. So that's the story. Those are the stories that I found that were they were very interesting and very closely linked uh, to the pig. All right. So our last but not least, um, she is actually one of the first killers that you have access to uh, when it comes to uh, Dead by Daylight is the nurse. So not to be left out, I have to read, I have to read her lore verbatim because the DVD writers slash the DVD community did a really good job with coming up with like the backdrop of this fictional character. I also got to say, like some of these, some of these are like really well done in terms of like their lore and their like backstory. Lore, creation, everything. Did you know they have a plot? Like, I didn't even know that game had like a plot. It has a plot? It has a plot. I I'll, I'll share it. Okay, when, okay, okay, good. when when good, I go. good, good. because I like didn't under like I thought it was just like here's a bunch of killers, here's a bunch of survivors, let's go. But there's like yeah. a story, like it's a, what it, there's like a That's plot amazing. to the game, and yeah. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I'm excited for your segment. I mean, I mean, I'm always excited for your segment, but now I'm even more excited for your segment. <laughs> so, okay, the nurse, and I will read the lore uh, verbatim is um so the nurse is sally smithson smelly smith sally oh lord sally smithson <laughs> sally <laughs> basically came to town with dreams of children's feet and laughter in a wooden home built by her husband andrew but life came not with smiles but with plans of destruction andrew worked as a lumberjack a job with its perils one day andrew's foreman had to pay sally a visit forever changing her life she was alone Without food on the table and no other option, Sally had to find a way, but the only employment she could get uh, was was at the Crotus Pren Asylum. Nobody sought employment there unless they were in dire need, just like Sally. Without any education, she started at the bottom doing the hard night shift. Over the years, her mind had reached its limits, two decades of seeing horrid things that violate uh, that violate the eyes. Memories are replayed every night, being abused verbally and physically by people without limits. Sally saw insanity from the outside just to catch it herself. Finally, she could not take it anymore, and concepts of purification emerged inside her. She did what she felt was necessary. As the morning staff arrived one day in September, they found over 50 dead patients lifeless in their bed, along with four staff also dead. Only Sally had survived the night, but her mind was gone rocking back and forth nonstop. Exactly what happened is only known to her, but it seems that some of, uh, some of them have been choked as they had marks around their necks. They got, in, they got her into an ambulance, but that ambulance never reached the hospital. 
It was found crashed in a nearby wood, all the staff dead, and Sally nowhere to be found. What? Yeah, she so that's- killed like 54 people or 50 people? Yep. In so- one night? In one night. So that is the lore of fucking Smelly Smithson. That is the nurse's character. You know, the creepy, hooded, crazy looking, floaty murder bitch that, you know, goes around and is able to blink right behind you and scare the bejeebas out of you. Um, that's that's one of her main things. Um, also, her strengths are to make sure that uh, you are sought after and you are tracked your entire time you are playing that game. So uh, it's a kind of a difficult character to play, but um, it's obviously the specialties are hunting. Um, and especially with the blinking, you're able to find someone pretty quickly. You're also able to surprise them. Unfortunately, you do make a lot of noise because, you know, got to have some good with the bad. Fair. All right. But that's wild. That is, that is, that is. Now, unlike the Silent Hill character um, that she gets looked at for her look, which are the bubble heads and other creepy crawlies from the Silent Hill franchise, she is not actually the character Lisa Garland. Um, So Lisa Garland in Silent Hill series, which a lot of people are attributing her to, um, or some of the bubble heads, which are the really creepy nurses that kind of like hobble down the um, down the hallway after you in Silent Hill 2. Um, mm-hmm. She's not actually she she's inspired by them. But obviously, with the lore that I just read, she's not an exact copy. Gotcha. Uh, however, what she is, is she is the greatest example of another rare form of um, psychotic killer known as the Angel of Mercy or the Angel of Death. Um, So Angel of Mercy or Angel of Death Killers are a criminal offender who is usually employed as a caregiver and intentionally harms or kills people under their care. The Angel of Mercy is often in a position of power and may decide the victim would be better off if they no longer suffered from whatever severe illness had plagued them. This person then uses their knowledge, especially medical knowledge, to kill the victim. In some cases, as time goes on, this behavior escalates to encompass the healthy and the easily treated as well. So a lot of times they devolve and a lot of times they also um, evolve into something that not only that that isn't killing people out of out of sympathy, but is actually killing people because they are therefore deeming them more powerful than the person they are caring for. Mm-hmm. So I have two more examples of really kick ass. And by kick ass, I mean, absolutely fucking terrifying um, <laughs> <laughs> murderers because they happened right under a lot of people's noses for many, many years. You're going to notice a pattern. Um, so most famously, one of the biggest angel of deaths is actually one of the first noted female serial killers in the U.S. That was a woman. And her name is Jane Toppin. Jane Toppin, who was born Honora Kelly, was an American serial killer nicknamed Jolly Jane. After her arrest in 1901, yes, you heard that right, 1901, she confessed to 31 murders. Under questioning, Toppin stated that she derived a sexual thrill from patients being near death and coming back to life and then dying again. Toppin administered a drug mixture to the patients she chose as her victims. She would lay with them and then hold them close as they died. She bounced around hospital to hospital in Massachusetts, and she was caught finally after a family grew suspicious that an entire sect of their extended family died of mysterious circumstances. They later confirmed that they were all due to poisoning. Her last crime did happen in 1901, the year that she was arrested. Toppin had moved in with an elderly, um, an elderly man, uh, Alden Davis, um, and his entire family, because sometimes you would have living nurses. Mm-hmm. 
and it was going to take care of him um, after the death of his wife, Maddie, who Toppin had already murdered. So a lot of times, um, and once she was eventually kicked out of being in hospitals, because whenever she was on shift, there was one shift where in a week, seven people died on her shift. Oh my God. And everyone was just like, man, what a rough week. And she's like, yeah, I know. Just super rough, man. And then just walked away from that hospital and went somewhere super, else. Super bad. Bad yeah. times. Yeah. So obviously in 1901, you know, news doesn't happen that fast. There aren't electronic medical records. Um, there aren't really hospitals that are background checking their employees to be like, how many people have died on your shift and did you cause it? So, you know, shit like that. So what she eventually started doing, especially in the later time of her career, which unfortunately also made it a lot easier to link deaths to her, is that she would become a live-in nurse for anybody who was either terminally ill or needed a long recuperation time, and eventually those people would die. Um, and I do say recuperation time because there was a couple of deaths where people were like, they, that person died? They had a broken leg. Like, what? Oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like, it wasn't even like, like, like they weren't terminally ill. They didn't always have tuberculosis. They didn't have consumption. They didn't have, like, um, they you just, know, like, liver disease. Yeah, and, like, and... yeah, there, there was somebody who was, like, being taken care of because they had a broken leg, and they died. And everyone's just like, uh, okay. Um, so this one was really weird because uh, at, um, in the Davis household, she killed Davis, his sister Edna, and then two of his daughters, Minnie and Genevieve. And they all died within a month, every single one of them. And so that's when the family was like, this is weird. I think we should look into this. The coroner did, um, they were finally, they were able to look at Minnie and Genevieve and were just like 100% these people have been poisoned. The police yeah. trailed and detained her before she could go into another house. And uh, after they detained her, she happily confessed. Happily confessed. It was Wonderful. finally, you know, it was a burden off of her. Um, she was, however, found not guilty due to insanity because I guess in 1901, you can't think about a woman killing 31 people because she derived sexual pleasure from it. So mm -hmm. uh, she was found not guilty due to insanity. However, she was institutionalized until her death in 1938 in a mental hospital. So she was taken off the street at least but she wasn't sentenced to death. Um, Toppin is quoted as saying that her ambition was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. Oh my God. That's what she said like in a courtroom. That she wanted to kill? Yes, she wanted to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. Well, at that point, you're not really taking them out of their misery. You're just killing people. <laughs> Correct. You can't um, You can't be like, I'm helping them. It's a mercy thing. But I also want to kill every human being mm -hmm. as many as I can in my lifetime. That's Specifically insane. whoever she deems helpless. Right. Like that, right. that's her definition. So it could literally be anyone. So um, funnily enough, and, uh, not funnily enough, but unfortunately enough, uh, Charles Cullen said bet. And Charles Edmund Cullen, not to be not to be confused with Edward Cullen, um, is an American serial killer who confessed to murdering up to 40 patients during the course of his 16 year career as a nurse in just the state of New Jersey. <laughs> yep. Also, technically, you could argue that Edward Cullen is a serial killer. Uh, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. He is a vampire. That's 100 percent accurate. So. I, mean, I know like, absolutely nothing about Twilight. I just really? know the memes. I, I I was too old when listen, listen. I'm gonna say something controversial. I am a very support, I'm a very staunch supporter 
of fan fiction. I love it. I want more of it to happen. I read like three pages of that and I'm just like, this doesn't, I, I know fan fiction that's written better than this. It's by really like bad. 16 year olds. Really and like, this the is thing insane. Is, is that like, I, I can't, I'll say it. I fell for the hype. Like mm-hmm. I did. I fell for the hype. And I, I think at, I was young enough where I, I clung to something that I wanted. I, I was just in enthralled in it i like i clung to it because i just wanted something to cling on to Uh um and so i definitely fell for it but when i when i got my brain back um (laughs) it's not good it's no it's i mean like i get the hype over it because i also was involved in the hype and like i get like wanting to like cling to like a fantasy story like that oh 100 your normal life gets like flipped upside down and you get whisked away to this like magical existence yeah but it's it's terrible writing. It's yeah. it's absolutely terrible writing, and and um, it's awkward and creepy, and uh, he's a little abusive, and yeah. um, and then on top of that, just he like he definitely is a serial killer. There's, there's some weird. I don't know if the new book fills in these holes, but there's like some weird discrepancy where he's just like. I spent some time away from the family because I was rebelling. And, like, you totally know that he was just, like, out, like, eating people. Like, 100%. 100%. And, he glosses and- over the part where he, like, commits several <laughs> murders. He goes off and does his own thing, and by his own thing, we mean murder. Yes. Um, and, and Twilight fans, if you're listening, don't fret. I also have read the entire Shadowhunters series from Cassandra Clare. And I know how problematic that is, too. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We all have we all have our vices. It's okay. We all have our vices. We learn. We learn. We grow. We find other things. It's totally fine. But fan fiction is forever constant. Anyway. All right. So. (laughs) Side tangent. (laughs) Okay. So uh, Charles Cullen. Crazy dude. Absolutely bananas. Um, So. Killed, uh, he's, I'm sorry, he's confessed to murdering up to 60 patients over the course of his 16 career as a nurse in New Jersey. However, in subsequent interviews with police psychiatrists and journalists, it became apparent that he has probably killed and definitely has killed many, many more. He has killed so many people that it's gotten to the point where he could never specifically remember a name or a place, but he could in detail talk about their diagnosis, talk about how he killed them and talk about how they died. Jesus. And some of those details that he would talk about did not match people who they knew and how they died. So experts have estimated simply because of how many hospitals he was in, how long he was in the profession, where he was going, and then they looked at just as many uh, uncharacteristic deaths in the area. It is, it is purported that he may be responsible for upwards of 400 deaths which would make him the most prolific serial killer in recorded history. Yep. My jaw uh, is on the floor. <laughs> For anyone who can't see me. Yes. Up to 400 people could be attributed to this man who did angel of death killings while a nurse in just New Jersey. How do you get away with that? So this is also why I brought this up, because as I do, I like also linking some of my deaths to really important legal things. Yeah, so you we're do. gonna we're gonna get into I'm that. I'm excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was arrested. Cullen was arrested in 2003. Finally, 
And this was after bouncing around many, many different hospitals. And it was actually a hospital administrator who noticed that there were very suspicious deaths while he was on record. Um, many people attributed that he had escalated, that he had actually gotten so brazen that he was killing people in such a quick fashion that there was no way that this very eagle eye administrator could have missed it. So kudos, kudos to Somerset, kudos to hospital administrator Somerset. He did a good job. Um, Cullen stated uh, during uh, his confessions that he administered overdoses to patients in order to spare them from being coded um, or going into cardiac, cardiac or respiratory arrest um, and, and being listed as a cold blue emergency. He told detectives that he could not bear witness to hear about any attempts to saving a victim's life, especially once something so painful. So he was he was regarding this as something that that he he was he was absolving them from the potential pain that they could have been through. So he was trying to kill them even before they would have any chance of coming back from a code blue. Cullen also stated that he gave patients overdoses so they could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them. He felt that the coding, um, the blue code and and them coding and going to respiratory arrest dehumanizes them to the point where they're cut open. They have a lot of things happening. They're elect they're they're quote unquote electrocuted. So this was a way for for especially the terminal patients that he initially cared for were 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 taken care of. Um, unfortunately, the terminal patients that he initially started taking care of at the start of his career were HIV patients. So while while we know, um, especially uh, during this time frame in the 80s and 90s, uh, during this time frame that there there was no expected um, life expectancy past a certain time of di of diagnosis. Um, you know, there there still are a lot of people that died unnecessarily due to Cullen's actions. Um, and that was actually the hardest part for the lawyers to talk about um, because the uh, defense attorneys and a, bu a bunch of people were then speculating, well, and this was just with the HIV patients and just with the AIDS patients in saying yeah. they were going to die anyway. So maybe we shouldn't try him for those. And he said, and just because of how freaking outlandish everything was, the prosecutors were like, absolutely not. We are charging him for every single death that he is okay, confessing good. to. Yeah, because that's fucked. Yes. Um, so uh, Cullen chose his uh, tools of choice. Um, they were um, digox digoxin and insulin. And both of those uh, drugs had very little use outside of hospital settings and were less likely to attract attention. Investigators stated Cullen may have caused patients to suffer regardless of what he thought, but he appears to not have realized this, contradicting his claims of wanting to save patients. So he may have also caused them to code, especially some of the healthier ones who are not terminal. And he just had no wherewithal in his brain that he was actually no the one who was causing suffering. It. There were also times um, and he was he was almost caught multiple times by family members, by fellow nurses, uh, by fellow by by doctors. He, he was almost caught multiple times because there were some times where he made the decision to murder someone on impulse. So he just had insulin ready to go in his pocket, Jesus. ready to just stab somebody in front of other people. And sometimes he would say it was epinephrine. Sometimes he would say it was something to get the heart going. Sometimes he would say it was Benadryl to make sure that they didn't have an allergic reaction because somebody administered something wrong. So he would just flat out lie. Um, oh and this, yeah, and, and this is also something that, that, that the administrator had caught on to of being like, why would a person who's coming in here after surviving a heart attack need Benadryl? Like, th yeah. there, there's no reason for that. So obviously they started putting a bunch of the pieces together. 
Um, so this also became a very important case because um, this this uh, this specific case, Cullen's specific case, became a legal precedent for how to, for how um, to inform policies around drug administration in hospitals mm-hmm. um, and also hospital employment policies for future generations. So uh, there were a couple different um, laws that were passed in specifically Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and 35 other states. They adopted new laws which encouraged employers to give honest appraisals of workers um, of a worker's job performance, which gave employers legal protections that they could provide a truthful employee appraisal without being basically without having a slanderous lawsuit slammed against them. Mm. Um, so they would be able to say, hey, this guy was on shift and a whole lot of people died and it was really freaking like weird. People. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was fired, but he shouldn't have been fired because that just means he goes to another hospital. So it right. kind of gave people protections in order to do that. The New Jersey laws in particular formed the model that the rest of the states could follow. First, in 2004, there was the Patient Safety Act, which increased hospitals' responsibility for reporting serious preventable adverse events that were happening underneath their um, underneath their premises. This is this is emergency rooms. This is in the parking lots. This is this is literally anywhere where they have property laws. They have to report stuff. Um, this also means in 2005 there was the Enhancement Act which was a supplement to the Patient Safety Act and required hospitals to report certain details about their employees to the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. It also mandated that complaints and disciplinary records relating to patient care were were to be kept for at least seven years. So because this guy was able to work as much, if they didn't have any good administration uh, processes, sometimes once once an employee was gone, they would just destroy records. And there would just be no record of what happened with that guy if there were any allegations, any complaints, any anything. So, yeah. So that is freaking Charles Cullen, um, Charles Edmund Cullen, uh, who may have killed up to 400 people being the angel of mercy or honestly more appropriately named the angel of death. Jesus. And those are some examples of something that likens back to Sally Smithson, the nurse from Dead by Daylight. Huzzah! Yeah. Huzzah! Damn, those are really good. Thanks. Those are real good. Thanks. Um, thanks. thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much. I feel like this is just turning into the serial killer episode, which I'm like really it's not hundred percent because yeah. we all know how fascinated I am by serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's literally all I found uh, for my three. So first and foremost, though, again, Dead by Daylight has a plot. And I like, so I like had pulled um, some like beginning information because I didn't know. I, I honestly could not remember if I was supposed to go first or not. And I was like, <laughs> well, we're talking about the same topic this time, like the same yep. game this time around. And yep. I didn't know if you were going to talk about what the game is or not. Um, I probably so could I have gone like, more into it, but I didn't. which is fine which is totally fine um but i pulled it just in case we needed it Um, yeah because like some people may not know what dead by daylight is and Mm -hmm. that's totally fine um but it is an indie horror game and it has it's like action survival multiplayer uh with your friends as you know you can be survivors or killers Mm -hmm. um or it's one killer or you can be like a bunch of survivors and it's like a cat and mouse game but apparently it has a plot. And the that still plot blows my mind. is around um, what's called the Entity, which is a supernatural being hailing from the ancient blood web. 
Um, it's uh, awakened from its slumber and summoned by actions of great vi- violence and malice. So it oh, was good. like sleeping and dormant, and then all these like terrible things woke it back up. It's cabin in um, the woods. Yeah. So the killers, <laughs> which are mostly serial murderers or victims of terrible tragedy, are pulled out of reality by this like entity and convinced or forced to do its bidding. So the ah. killers in the game are actually doing the bidding of the entity. Oh shit. Um, okay. All right. And in I mean in order to Yeah, like it's just that's that's why they're trying to kill you, apparently. Oh. I thought we just like like came up to their camp and were like, "Yo, we're gonna fuck with your generators so we can leave," and they got pissed. Like that's right. really all I thought the game was. My bad. <laughs> we're just like in- on your property, like yeah. just fucking with your shit. Our car broke down and we were <laughs> fucking with your shit, and we need the doors to open. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, but in order to maintain the existence of the entity, the entity requires sacrifices and demands that they hunt and kill the survivors so that it uh, can yes. feed off their hope and steal a piece of their souls upon death. So I guess the little like spider dangly thing that comes mm-hmm. down and like rips you off the hook is the entity. Hook me, daddy. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like is that is that a quote yet? Is that like on a t-shirt or something? I feel like no, it needs to be. I mean it might be, but yeah. should we adopt it? We should Yeah, we can absolutely it. adopt it. Sorry, DBD. <laughs> In order to continue this hunt, the entity blocks off the gateways of death and puts the dead into a dreamlike state that leads the survivors back to the entity's world to get hunted again. Oh, shit. The survivors are pulled into the entity's constructed world when they wander too close to places that the killers were taken from, disappearing from the real world without a trace. So they end up at a lonely campfire where they rest between trials until a killer pursues them again. Each trial takes place in a series of realms constructed by the entity of areas from where the killers were taken, and their survivors' only hope of escaping is to complete a series of generators scattered throughout each realm to power up a large gate to escape. If the killer has killed all but one survivor, the entity will offer the latter a final means of escape in the form of a hatch. Find the hatch, And escaping from the grounds always takes the survivors back to the campfire, and offerings can be created to be burnt at it and appeal for the entity's favor. Since the entity feeds off the hope of the survivors to escape, it helps them just as much as the killers, acting as an impartial observer of the hunt, stepping in only to claim those hung on its hooks. Damn. So that's like the whole story behind Dead by Daylight, and I had no idea that that existed. That's super cool. <laughs> right? I, I had that no that idea. Like made it so much more interesting. It's way more tangible other than, you know, just roll up just like generators, exit door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like there's like a whole like purpose behind it, which I didn't really realize. Um, I do feel there. like I, it's very cabin in the woods of just like, okay, we're going to make sure this works in order to appease this god to make sure we all don't fucking die. So pretty great. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, So my three was the Huntress, the Clown, and the Ghostface. Um, I had to pick Ghostface. Honestly, like, Ghostface is, like, by far my favorite. If you know anything about me, Scream is my jam. Um, But I'm actually going to start with the Huntress because this one is very fascinating Mm -hmm. and um, 
something that I didn't know was a thing, but I'm super like into. Well, half of it is like something I'm terrified of. And then the other half is like something super cool that I, or I guess it's not really cool because it is a serial killer and that's sad. Fascinating. We but like I the word fascinating. Know, I've, it's super fascinating because I've, I've never heard of this serial killer. Ooh, okay. Um, yes. Whereas like the other two that I'm going to talk about, I've totally heard about. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. We're, we're, I'm going to, I'm ready for my commentary. We're good. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm on your way yeah. of like, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so Anna, or the Huntress, is a figure clad in the head of a hare, so a rabbit. Um, a most disturbing sight. This new foe holds something human within her, some shards of ordinary life. She seems to be a hunter. I have met many different beings in this place, but this is the first one with a natural skill of hunting. In mm. any other place, one can deem it a talent. But her knack for tracking, capturing, and killing is something else here. There is something else in her, too. She seems to seek something. So Ooh. that's kind of like her page description. Um, I should have read was- those. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. I literally was just, like, attached to the DVD wiki. So I was yeah, just, yeah. like, pulling things. I guess I did read the nurses. I guess that's fine. Okay. Cool, you cool. did. Yeah. yeah. And that was super important. Yeah. Um. So the Huntress was introduced as a killer in Chapter 5, A Lullaby for the Dark, um, which was a Chapter DLC released in 2017. And A Lullaby for the Dark is a free chapter for Dead by Daylight. Um, it Welcome to the Other Side of Mother Nature was kind of like the shtick that they were selling mm, okay. for it. Um, a disturbing side where survival surpasses cannibalism and ends up in solitude. That was like the marketing Ooh, for okay. it, which is like... They, like, introduced, I think, like, two killers with this chapter and, like, two survivors. And, like, nice. one of the other killers, I think, was a cannibal. So, like, that's kind of the the thing that they were. The Maybe Huntress that was the Leatherface one. The, the frickin' um, hillbilly. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it was. So, the Huntress will never miss her mark. She will track you, capture you, and kill you. Um, the Huntress is a ranged killer able to throw hunting hatchets at survivors to injure them. Which, while I was playing Dead by Daylight, the one time that I played it, um, I was the Huntress. And I remember, nice. like, that was the only way I could get anyone was yep. because I could, like, take them out from afar. Nice. So her personal perks are Beast of Prey, Territorial Imperative, and um, a Hex, which was her lullaby that she mm-hmm. would sing. She also has a broad axe as her main weapon, which she uses two hands to, like, yes, she does. shank you with. So her backstory or her lore, her lore is actually like insanely interesting. Um, I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. But to summarize it, her mother started teaching her how to survive a harsh and solitary life in the northern woods. Oh, boy. Um, And living such an extremely remote and or they were living in such an extremely remote and dangerous area. So. Her and her mother would go out hunting a lot, and while one day while they were out hunting, um, an elk impaled her mother, like right oh, in front of her. Okay. I, it was, I guess, while reading it, uh, she was supposed to kill the elk as it was charging, and she, she hesitated. Like, she hesitated. She froze up, <gasps> and her mother like pushed her out of the way to save her. Oh shit! And was impaled. Um, still killed the elk though, but just suffered the wounds. 
And Anna was too small to move her mother's broken body, so she sat with her in the clearing and um, to distract Anna from the dying elk's cries, her mother actually held her and hummed her favorite lullaby. Oh, that's um, creepy. Okay. Creepy. Yeah. So then Anna grew up alone uh, and slowly lost her humanity over time. And after she got bored of hunting smaller animals and then bigger animals, she began to start hunting humans that would trespass through the woods that she lived in. Um, she couldn't bear to kill the little girls that were with these groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, just something, some sort of like... Kinship weirdness? Yeah, kinship weirdness. So she would take them back to her house and tie them up. Ooh, okay. Um, she desired companionship, but, you know, she didn't want these people to run away and, like, tell on her kind of thing. So she would tie them up. And, of course, these girls would then die from either starvation or sickness or um, hypothermia. Bummer. So um, she was then compelled to try again and started to raid the nearby villages, slaughter families, and then kidnap their daughters. Um, she wore one of the animal masks that her mother had crafted for her so many years ago. And um, she wore those to try and calm the frightened children by being like, look, I'm an animal creature. Like, I'm not going to hurt you. And then the villagers spread the legend of a half beast lurking in the red forest known as the Huntress who killed men and ate little girls. Like, that was the legend. So, like, that's her lore, which I think is like, like their their writing is like for this character is like super creative and and really cool, and I thought her backstory was like really interesting. Um, so this character was inspired by a lot of um, cool folklore from like Eastern Europe and Russia, and um, the dev said that so many cool stories are told about people living in the deep forests cut off from the rest of the world and yet quite solidly rooted in their rich culture. Mm. And they looked at a lot of legends that had to do with people that time had forgotten. A mix oh. of tradition and wilderness. Okay. So that was kind of like their mood behind the Huntress. Cool. Uh, the Huntress's hair mask also was inspired uh, by similar masks worn by the Spider Splacers in the Bioshock franchise. Nice. So, Love that. Another franchise that I'm super in love with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during development, the Huntress was actually nicknamed Bear. Oh, so, okay. Not really. It, there's no, that was just a fun fact. Uh, not really sure why. But <laughs> um, the soldiers, so her lore ends with the fact that um, the Russian Empire falls and then a bunch of German soldiers like invade the forest. And when mm -hmm. that happens, the entity scoops her up. So those soldiers that invaded actually referred to the Huntress as Bodark. And in Russian folklore, the Bodark is one of two types of werewolves um, and differs from a general werewolf myth. The Bodark is actually unaffected by the lunar cycle and can shapeshift into a werewolf at will. Not like Anthropy. Got it. Yes, correct. So um, they're considerably more dangerous and terrifying than other werewolves because they retain control over their actions remain completely aware um, while in their wolf form 
and retained their human intelligence, which combined with heightened senses and enhanced abilities makes them tremendously difficult to face off. Dang. All right. So, yeah. So she was she was thought of as like this werewolf Bodark thing. Her lullaby in the game is actually a well-known Russian lullaby, which I'm going to butcher, called the Bayushki Bayu. I think that's how you say it. Not sure. Don't come for me, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the lyrics warn children, like the lyrics of this real lullaby, um, is a warning t- for children to not sleep too close to the edge of their bed <gasps> because they would be at risk of getting snatched by a wolf and dragged into the woods. Ah, we all know we have that unattainable, unsquashable fear of something coming for us while we're in bed and just yes. reaching and bleh, no thank you. Yeah. So bunny stuff, wolf stuff. Let's cool. start w- with the bunny stuff. I dig it. There are two real world ties to this, I feel. Um, one being like more of an urban legend and the other one being a very real serial killer. Uh, the first is the urban legend of the bunny man, which this freaks me out because um, I will say as a child, I watched a lot of horror and not a lot freaked me out except for Donnie Darko. That is one thing that I cannot, for whatever reason, it's the freakiest thing to me, cannot get over it, made me afraid of the Easter bunny still to this day. I think the Easter bunny is the creepiest thing on earth. Fair. Um, so now urban legend, bunny man. Got it. (laughs) So this originated from two incidents in Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970, but has now spread throughout um, the Washington, D.C. area. Mm. And the legend has many variations, but most involve a man wearing a rabbit costume who attacks people with an axe or a hatchet. (laughs) So not Harvey. Got it. (laughs) But these (sighs) are two things directly tied To Anna's character. True. So the facts are that in 1970, an Air Force cadet named Robert Bennett was returning from a football game with his wife in the small northern Virginia town of Burke. They had parked their car in a field on Guinea Road um, to visit an uncle who lived across the street. As the engine was running, they saw a figure dash across their rearview mirror. Uh A few seconds later, the passenger side window was smashed in and Bennett immediately sped away, but not before catching a glimpse of a man dressed in white yelling at them about trespassing on his private property. As they got further away, the couple discovered a hatchet on the floor of their car. No, thank you. Bennett swore that this man was wearing two pointy white bunny ears. But this was something that his wife refuted, saying that what she saw was more akin to, like, a KKK hood. Ah, okay. But no one could It was hard to corroborate. Right. Yep. It was hard to corroborate. So the second reported sighting occurred on the evening of October 29th in 1970, which was just a week later. Uh Uh-oh. When a construction security guard, Paul Phillips, approached a man standing on the porch of an unfinished home in Kings Park West... On Guinea Road. Phillips said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny costume and was about 20 years old, uh, five foot eight, 
and weighed about 175 pounds. The man began chopping at the porch post with a long-handled axe, saying, you are trespassing. If you come any closer, I'll chop off your head. Oh, boy. He's a winner. So the Fairfax County Police opened investigations into both incidents, but both were eventually closed for lack of evidence. In the weeks following the incidents, more than 50 people contacted the police claiming to have seen the Bunny Man. Several newspapers, including the Washington Post, reported that the Bunny Man had eaten a man's runaway cat. <laughs> like, yikes. Just wild stories about this dude in a bunny outfit. Um, he was never found. Of course not. They don't have any evidence for any of these cases, um, and it just kind of disappeared. Like, nice. it just just went away. That's not um, good. The urban legend version of the Bunny Man uh, was that an asylum detainee who escaped in 1904 uh, was started, uh, started to skin rabbits and hang his victims around the Colchester Overpass, which is now informally known as Bunny Man Bridge, which was a real place. Uh, and eventually he was that. killed by a passing train when police came to arrest him. Of course, that's all a myth. And within a few years, children were swapping stories about the man in a bunny suit chasing kids through the woods with a hat. Naturally. Naturally. Right. Um, but this, um, this Colchester overpass is actually like a real place in uh, Virginia. And um, you can go there. And apparently it's a big tourist attraction during Halloween because people Damn. are trying to see the bunny man in the woods. There you go. So total urban legend. But clearly you can like see the connections between 100%. like... This character. The more real life inspiration is something that I didn't know until now. That's kind of like crazy. So if you don't know it, I don't know it. So I'm ready. I know. Um, so the more real life inspo could be from the prolific Russian serial killer nicknamed the werewolf. <gasps> We're going back to the lore. I love this. Do you okay. see the red line? I, I am do. Across. I do. I'm in the <laughs> mailroom with you. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> God, I love that episode. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, Mikhail Popkov, which I'm going to butcher all of these names, was born in Angarsk on March 7th in 1964. Little mm, okay. is known about his upbringing um, and personal life beyond the fact that he was married to Elena Popkova. And had a daughter named Ekaterina. He worked as a police officer. Uh-oh. And by the time of his capture, had also spent time as a security guard at a private firm. Uh-oh. So it has been speculated that Popkov uh, had been targeting women who resembled his reportedly alcoholic mother who had abused him during his childhood. Oh, no. So all of the women very much, like, resembled her. Mm-hmm. Um, Popkov axed, stabbed, or strangled mostly women between the ages of 16 and 40. Wow. With the That's exception of, yeah, it was, it was a big, it was a big in, which I'll get into more detail of like who was in certain age ranges. Yep. Um, but, uh, with the exception of one male victim, he did kill oh. one male victim who was a fellow policeman that Popkov gave a ride to late at night and then killed in a forest. He targeted sex workers or inebriated women, mm -hmm. those who he thought were immoral, and he actually stated that 
his victims deserved it based on their behavior and or whereabouts. Despicable. Um, So he would pick up slightly intoxicated women who were leaving bars or parties and using his police uniform and car, he gained the victim's trust and um, then like would offer them a ride. David Parker Ray did the exact same thing, but he wasn't a cop, but he posed as a cop in order to get people into his truck trailer. Did the exact Um, same thing. I think... There's a lot of people who did that. There's a lot of people who did that because I think also um, John Wayne Gacy. He did 100%. Did that as well. And he wasn't a cop, but he like had a badge and lights and he pretended to be a cop to like gain people's trust. Um, But this man was a cop in the area. And so like people like, I don't know if they knew him, but like it was clear that he was a cop. So like they would get, he would probably seen him around and probably seen him actually doing stuff. Right. And so like they would he he would offer them a ride and they would take it. So that's how he would gain their trust. Popkov would then drive them to a forest where he would then rape them and murder them. He eluded police for two decades as investigators catastrophically ignored evidence that Mm. the mystery killer could have been one of their own officers. Of course. um, Who was using his uniform to gain trust. The victims were reportedly axed, stabbed or strangled to death. And one of the victims was even decapitated, and another victim's uh, victim had their heart ripped out of their chest. Oh, my God. He murdered women with slip knots, a knife, a hammer, screwdriver, or even an axe, which he used up to 17 times on some of his victims. And he mutilated the bodies so badly that that is how they gave him the werewolf nickname. His killing spree is suspected to have gone on from 1992 to 2000. However, some suspect uh, or some suspect that it continued until 2010. Oh my god! Uh, however, they have no proof of that. They only have proof of the murders committed between 1992 and 2000. Okay. While in custody, Popkov claimed he had stopped killing when he became impotent and contracted syphilis from one of his victims, leading investigators to believe his murders were sexually motivated. Mm. However, again, that would mean that he stopped in 2000, but they don't really think that he stopped in 2000. Only one victim, known as Svetlana, escaped his brutal attack when he left her for dead naked in the snow in midwinter. She somehow survived. Thank God. But like um, she told how an officer in a police car gave her a lift, then took her to the forest where he forced her to strip before crashing her head against a tree trunk. Wow. Uh, The police did not investigate properly, though, after Popkov's wife, Elena, now 47, claimed he was the perfect husband and father and gave him an alibi. Svetlana was even shown a picture of Popkov and clearly confirmed that it was him, but investigators chose to believe his wife's, like, story. hmm He was finally arrested on June 23rd, 2012, when he went to um, buy a car in, like, a other, another city. Um, after having his DNA sampled along with um, 3,500 other police officers. So they just swabbed everyone. Wow. And he matched. Wow. Um, Talk about he, a freaking wide net. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think they just swabbed the whole police force. Yeah. Probably just to like, have their stuff on record. Yeah. They were just like, we're going to do this thing. 
Um, although he was under suspicion because they had found a victim who had syphilis and then they knew that he had contracted oh. syphilis. So they were kind of like already piecing sus. it together somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Not doing anything, but piecing it together. No, at no, least. no. Doing a very poor job, but still. Yeah. He was suspected of killing at least 29 women, 25 of whom were aged 19 to 28, and four who were aged 35 to 40. So okay. that is why the age gap is so wide, but most of his victims were 19 to 28. Um, Popkoff was convicted of 22 murders in 2015 and confessed to 59 additional homicides three years later. My God. So he was, con- he was convicted of 22 murders, but he confessed to 59 additional murders three years later. Um, on December 10th in 2018, he was convicted for the 56 of the 59 additional homicides. Mm-hmm. Uh, three killings, the police could not find proof. Wow. So probably, they, could they probably couldn't find the him. body or anything either. Yeah, like they could just not link those three, but they they convicted him for the additional 56 wow. from the 59 that he confessed. He was probably sitting there for three years being like, these fuckers don't know how to do their job, and I'm just going to yeah. tell you because whatever, I'm going to be here anyway. Oh, but just wait. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> he received a second life sentence from those 56. But in July of 2020... Oh, no. More 2020 con- news. He confessed to more killings, bringing his total to 83. <gasps> yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. 83 people. And we're not being, like, tricked by, like, like with the confession killer. Like, they're not just throwing shit at him and saying, this is, this is what you gotta do. He's the one who's approaching everybody. He's the one who's, like, time has passed, I feel like... People need to still do your job, so I'm just going to cop to more stuff. Right. Cool. Yeah. He's like, I think I remember doing this as well. So keep his buddies busy. Right. And so he, let me do math real quick. So like, I think that was only like two more that he confessed to because 22 plus 59 is like 80, 82 or 81, 81. Still, that's insane. But so he confessed to two more murders in July, probably like, oh, I forgot about these. Um, But basically, he has a total of 83 murders under Mm -hmm. his belt. Uh, So between the axe killings, the forest, Russia and werewolves, I personally am on board for this being the possible inspiration behind the Huntress, whether Mm -hmm. that has been officially confirmed or not. There's just too many ties um, for it to like just like stick fucking bunny ears on this dude's ha- head yep. and and you've got it like yep. but um yeah bunny man is definitely more her bunny side and then like this dude is definitely more her like werewolf side we have, we have the aesthetic um, and then we have the killing ways we have the both inspirations going on yeah so but I had no idea that that person existed um, or did any of that stuff and um. Now I want to go to my big, giant, thick book of serial killers and see if he's in there, which I'm sure he is, but wild, crazy. Absolutely bananas. So that is the Huntress. Love that. Um, love that. Love that. So <laughs> the next one that I have um, is Kenneth Chase, a.k.a. Jeffrey Hawk, 
AKA the clown. The clown. Which I feel like we all know where this one's going. Oh yeah. How many serial killers do you know dressed up like a clown? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so and the also clown- painted them. <laughs> also painted them. Oh god. Yeah. No, I don't thank know you. what's worse, the pictures of him or the pictures of his paintings. Both. They're just both, both awful. <laughs> so the clown was introduced as a killer in chapter eight, uh, Curtain Call, which was a chapter DLC released in 2018. The clown is a strategic killer able mm-hmm. to control and corral survivors by throwing bottles of the afterpiece tonic to create clouds of noxious gas that cover large areas for a short amount of time. And survivors intoxicated by the gas are inflicted with impaired vision and movement speed, um, which give away their location by coughing loudly. Yep. Um, his personal perks are bamboozle, uh, colrophobia, and pop goes the weasel. Chorophobia is fear of clowns. It's fear of clowns. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, I guess he would give you the fear of clowns. I, I feel like you already have the fear of clowns. I don't honestly, think I need it given to me as a perk. But Honestly, in, in the immortal words of Penelope Garcia from, from Criminal Minds, uh, the fear of clowns is very natural. So <laughs> yes, I feel. 100% natural. Um, I, was playing, I was playing Transference, um, which is a spooky game, Ooh, and yeah. there's too many clowns in that game for me okay. to be okay. But he also has Madam Butterfly, which is his primary weapon, um, which is an oversized butterfly knife, Mm -hmm. um, which he inflicts torture with. Great. Kenneth Chase, uh, his like lore backstory was that he was born in 1932. Um, His mother didn't survive childbirth, and this drove a rift between him and his father. As a boy, um, he or as a boy. his father grew resentment against him and began a drinking habit. Uh, Kenneth was at school a lot of the time, so they lived a lot of, like, separate lives. Um, as a young boy, he showed clear signs of being a serial killer by harming small animals and keeping their trophies uh, in a small cigar box. Of course. Uh, a man in their town disappeared, and uh, the dad found the cigar box under the house, and inside the cigar box was a finger. Uh-oh. And when the dad found that, he the Kenneth Chase like took off um, and and ran away. Um, so then he uh, donned the name Jeffrey Hawk and joined a circus oh, where boy. he uh, masked himself as a charming and friendly person that just kind of like worked backstage. However, his old urges returned and his nomadic existence became a cover for him to resume killing. His, he stole clothes and makeup from the fellow performers and um, would, like, that was his disguise that he fashioned so he could, mm-hmm. like, lure his victims. Um, and then before he anesthetized them, ana- anesthetized? Ana- anesthetized? A- anesthetized them. Mm-hmm. Um, he would then bring them back to his caravan where they would awake to find themselves bound and at his mercy. He would then um, mentally and physically torture them before killing them. He would also chop off a finger and keep it. Ooh. The entity eventually took him. So (laughs) the biggest nod uh, that most fans have come up with as the inspiration is, of course, the never forgettable John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Yeah. Airhorn. Boo. Air horn gross, boo. Gross, gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a pretty accurate comparison in terms of appearance and overall serial killer vibes. However, their stories are very, you know, diverse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, John Wayne Gacy is an American serial killer and sex offender, also known as the Killer Clown, who assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Uh, Gacy re- regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events as Pogo the Clown Eesh. or Patches the Clown, personas he had devised. I hate clowns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gacy was close to his mother and his two sisters, but endured a difficult relationship with his father, who was an alcoholic and was physically abusive to his wife and children. So, of course, him and the clown character both had abusive alcoholic dads. Yep. Um, In 1949, Gacy's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl, and his father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment. Um, the, that same year, a family friend and contractor would sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. Gacy never told his father about this, though, afraid that his father would blame him. And when Gacy was 11, he was struck on the forehead by a swing, which resulted in head trauma um, that had formed a blood clot in his brain that went unnoticed until he was 16 when he began to suffer um, from blackouts and was prescribed medication to dissolve the clot. Indeed. As an adult, after marrying uh, Marilyn Myers, Gacy had several odd jobs throughout their time in Iowa, and from 1964 to 1968, he was involved in various sexual assault cases, most notably the one with 15-year-old Donald Voorhees. Mm-hmm. Um, on November 7th, 1968, Gacy pled guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to the other youths. Um, Gacy claimed Voorhees had offered himself to him and that he had acted out of curiosity. Of course, his story was not believed. Nope. And uh, he was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. Um, that same day, his wife petitioned for divorce. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Requesting God. she be awarded the home, the property, and sole custody of their two children, which she did win. Um, and the divorce was finalized September 18th, 1969, and Gacy never saw his first wife or their children ever again. Thank God. Um, Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18th, 1970, after having served 18 months. Oh, not even two years. Not even two years. 18 months of his 10-year sentence. And and also to remind, this is a 15-year-old victim. So not even pedophilia, not even assault, not even anything like that, just sodomy. Yes. Which they they would charge gay men in order to get them in trouble. And that Mm -hmm. was what that main law was used for. Like, Right, but it wasn't like sexually assaulting a minor. Um, And he didn't even serve all 10 years. Gross, gross, gross. Super gross. So after he was released, he returned to Chicago Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, was a member at the local Moose Club, and he became aware of the Jolly Joker Clown Club, whose members regularly performed at fundraising events and parades in addition to voluntarily entertaining hospitalized children. So in late 1975, Gacy joined and created his own clown characters, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown, and he described Pogo as the happy clown, whereas Patches was a more serious character, Mm -hmm. which is just fucking creepy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Gacy seldom earned money for his performances and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. Um, He performed as both Pogo and Patches at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, children's hospitals, and sometimes Gacy would remain in his clown garb after the performance where he would briefly drink at a local bar before returning home. Could you imagine just being in a bar and just like seeing this clown, this scary clown, because he's not even like... He's not even like he's not even like an inviting looking dude. Like he's, he's no, he's terrifying and he's tall and he's terrifying. And like his makeup is also terrifying. Like it's yeah. not cute. It's not like welcoming it's at all. Droopy and terrifying. Yep. It's the only word that could be associated. <laughs> but because of like his public service as a clown, that's why he was led to being known as the killer clown. Um, he didn't actually murder anyone dressed as a clown, as far as we know, anyway. I mean, yeah. he could have, but we don't we don't actually have proof of that. Right. Um, Gacy murdered at least uh, 33 young men, like I said, um, and buried 26 of them in the crawl space under his house. Ugh. Gacy, which, again, there was a crawl space under the DBD clown's house yep. where he hid his cigar box. So that's like a direct nod as well Mm -hmm. um gacy usually lured uh lone victims to his house although on approximately three occasions gacy had what he called doubles where two victims were killed in the same evening several victims were lured with the promise of a job with his contracting business others with the offer of a drink drugs money or sex uh his victims included people he knew as well as random individuals that he would lure from the Chicago Greyhound bus station, the Bug House Square, or just simply off the streets. He would torture, sodomize, and strangle his victims in various ways. And after death, Gacy usually stored the victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying the victim in the crawl space, where he would periodically pour quicklime to hasten the decomposition of the victims. And some of his victims' bodies were taken to his garage where he embalmed them prior to burial. The torture aspect of Gacy's murders uh, could correlate with the torture inflicted upon the victims in the clown's main lore as well. The law caught up with Gacy, of course, in late 1978. A mother of a young man who had disappeared after applying to Gacy... Uh, for a job, notified the police. A search warrant allowed police to search Gacy's home, and authorities eventually discovered the remains of 27 corpses underneath the house, plus two more under the garage and driveway. Eventually, Gacy told police he had thrown four other corpses into the Deplaine River. Mm-hmm. Deplaine. So, Deplaine's. So Gacy was indicted for the 33 murders and was found guilty in March of 1980 and sentenced to death. During his 14 years on death row, he took up oil painting, which we all wish he fucking hadn't. Nope. um, Because his favorite subject was clowns. And um, he said that he used clowns uh, as his alter ego. And once saying that a clown can get away with murder. Uh, His paintings also included pictures of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, um, as well as fellow serial killers Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein. That's the gross one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but mostly creepy is the fucking clown pictures, to be honest. Like, his clown paintings are just uh, haunting. 
truly haunting. Two two tidbits. Um, a prison guard mentioned that while Gacy also gave art direction for a lot of those, he actually paid inmates to paint more of them. Like they, they would do like reproductions or they would do like their own oh. stuff so he could make more to sell. No. Yeah. Yeah. Super I don't gross. Like that. I don't like that. And then that. second of all, I got to ask my grandmother um uh where she was when John Wayne Gacy's house was found. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, I know exactly the street. I know exactly when any of that happened. And like she's like, it was a horrendous day. It was an awful, Jesus. awful day. She she remembers it vividly and I got to ask her about it and it was crazy. Oh. He is a creepy, creepy man. Yeah. I've also been to that Greyhound bus station and <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. No. So that's the clown. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty clear, like, there's not many clown serial killers. Um, and True. of course, there's a lot in pop culture. Um, there's so many in pop culture. One that comes to mind is obviously American Horror Story. hundred um, percent. That's where my brain but, went. But I feel like that one's like you actually feel bad about like for that clown dude. Yeah. Like I I, I felt a little sorry for him. I do not feel sorry for John Wayne Gacy. I feel um, I feel bad that there's there's just this constant there's just there's just this constant cycle of so many of these victims are victimized because the person who perpetrated it, while it is bad and they did bad things, were also victimized themselves. Yes. Like it's very rare that there is somebody who does prolific killings. That, that just out of nowhere that yeah like they're, yeah. they're you know and, and like like ted bundy is one that i can think of like he was just jaded because women you know because he just wanted control over women like he's a yeah. piece of shit but like you know like gacy was was beat and and had all these horrible things happen to him do i have sympathy for him no but do i have sympathy for people who go through that stuff and then have trouble and turmoil and and are just victims of this cycle not all of those people who are victims of the cycle end up turning yeah end up killing so people. Yeah. yeah no and i i completely 100 percent agree um i also just think that like there's definitely something in someone's psyche that like manifests in these like malicious yeah. ways um again not always um but but is like we're slowly over time learning more and more about psychology and about like what makes a serial killer a serial killer and like you know is it is it was that always there before and these like horrific events triggered it Mm -hmm. or is are these horrific events the catalyst for what they become later like it's it's very hard to tell because no one can really study the psyche before the trauma just only after Mm -hmm. um so but but yeah like i mean like definitely feel sorry or feel like feel something some sort of sympathy for um people that go through that but it's very hard to sympathize with someone who does like horrific things correct knowing full well that they were a victim themselves yep and you have Um, to think that if there weren't if there weren't so many victims of certain things you know would we have people like this the answer right. is probably yes, but would they be that bad and would they be that frequent? Because unfortunately, these types of events are as frequent as they are. Yeah, but I think it's also, you know, something to note is that like Gacy also posed as a police officer. Now, mm-hmm. granted, he was not a police officer, so it's a little bit different in terms of like, but but the, you know, 
Popkov was a police officer. He's not the only police officer who got away with serial killing due to the fact that he was a police officer, a.k.a. the Golden State Killer. Yep, yep. Like, so it's just, it's also something to note of, like, how, 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 why, why? (laughs) Why and how, how and why. And it's also important to note how thin the line is, too. Yes. Yep. Um, so last one. Last one is the ghost face, which is Woo-woo. my personal favorite. Um, of course, this character is Danny Johnson, or also known as Jed Olson. And they call um, the character the ghost face rather than just ghost face. Mm-hmm. Um, he was introduced as a killer in Chapter 12, um, a chapter DLC released in 2019, the Ghostface is a creepy killer able to stalk his victims and sneak up silently using his power, Night Shroud. Um, affected survivors will find themselves vulnerable and oblivious to his presence. His personal perks are I'm all ears, thrilling tremors, and furtive chase. There's not a huge lore behind this character, I will say. Um, I think, you know, I'll, sometimes DVD will, like, add a well-known horror character like to the game like michael myers um like pyramid head yep (laughs) i think is one of them so these people get added um more of like a like a fan service i kind of feel like which isn't Mm -hmm. a bad thing um but their lores of these characters are not as um detailed especially this one this one really wasn't a huge story it was some some stuff about um danny Johnson and and not really much of like a deep dive. Um nice. so it's basically um the like this serial killer was wreaking havoc on a town called Roseville for 5 months mm-hmm. and um it was by Ghostface and um the real identity of Ghostface is Danny Johnson who is known by his pseudonym Jed Olson who was a narcissistic freelancer newspaper journalist in the fictional town of Roseville, um, Florida, uh, Roseville, Florida, sorry. And he covers the ghost face murders as a journalist, but then commits those murders as at night as ghost face. Sneaky, sneaky. So it's kind of like, um, bad (laughs) Spider-Man. Bad Courtney Cox. If we're going back to also, Scream. Scream. Yeah. Like he's committing the murders at night and then writing about what he did. Um, so when suspicion caught up to him, he fled. And that's basically the story is that like it it wasn't it wasn't really much. Um, it's obvious that it's based off Ghostface from Scream, but they could not use the backstory for legal purposes, obviously. Makes sense. Makes sense. They could, however, use the mask and stuff because that is under a different, like, copyright service because the mask existed before Scream. So, like, it's not technically Scream property. I wonder if they can do that with Michael Myers because technically that's a cast of William Shatner's face. So, like, does William Shatner get a royalty for that? Like, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't know. He should, though. Um, So, obviously, Ghostface is a fictional identity adopted by several characters in the Scream series. And um, if you haven't seen Scream, you absolutely should. Uh, it's literally the greatest slasher franchise, in my opinion. Um, but I will spoil it a little bit. Um, si- uh, I didn't. I, I'm not reading anything. This is just City Prescott <laughs> um, is in Woodsboro. There's um, some some murders. Uh, there's someone going around murdering people, clearly targeting City Prescott, um, or at least the people 
around her. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghostface doesn't ever speak when attacking. Uh, however, phone calls are usually given to the victims before the attacks, um, in which Ghostface will ask you, what's your favorite scary movie? Yep. Obviously, it's all targeting City Prescott. She doesn't really know why. Uh, she's trying to avoid being killed. Yada, yada, yada. Spoiler alert, it ends up being her boyfriend, Billy, and his friend, Stu, which is like the greatest Ew. killer duo ever because they're dumbasses. And it's I Matthew love Lillard and I love him. <laughs> My favorite quote to this day uh, will always be Stu on the phone when Sydney is pretending to be Ghostface and uh, she says that she called the cops and he asks her, did you really call the cops? Like, did you like he's he's bleeding out and he's on the phone and he's like, did you really call the cops? And she's like, you bet your sorry ass I did. And my favorite <laughs> line is my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me <laughs> as you're laying there dying. But OK, it's fine. Well, no biggie. as you're laying there dying after slaughtering a, a bunch of her portion of your senior class. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but calling the cops is what your parents are going to be mad about. <laughs> I'm about to say, I'm about to say, your parents are going to be disappointed in the fact that you called 911 and not the fact that you, I don't know, created mass ha- mass hysteria. Or just like you're, you're worried, like you're worried about your mom and dad being mad, but you're not worried about being arrested for <laughs> murder. <laughs> Amazing. <sighs> anyway, so um, it's her boyfriend because uh, her boyfriend, in fact, killed her mom years and years ago, went nutso. But killed her mom because her mom was uh, cheating with his dad. It was um, a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Uh, they framed somebody. They got away with it. He was then targeting Sydney. R- whole revenge story. God uh, complex. Was gonna, God complex. Was going to blame everything on Sydney's dad. It's a whole thing. That's a really bad synopsis. But I love that movie so much that I didn't want to read I just wanted to talk about it because, like, the movie's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's three more after that um, in which the Ghostface is donned by several other people um, typically doing revenge-type things, except for the fourth one, which diverts and is about fame, which is oh. important to note. Um, but, yes, the fourth one is actually her, spoilers again, Sydney's niece, Don's ghost face and um, with her with the help of her friend. So it's kind of an homage to the first movie, Mm -hmm. Um, except their goal is not revenge. It's fame. Oh, boy. Uh, They want to be famous. They she basically wanted to be the new Sydney. She was going to frame it to be she was the surviving victim. Oh, and um, let me guess. Everything's documented on social media. Not exactly. Oh, okay, But. Kind like it wasn't super social media, but it was very much like my aunt is so famous for being a victim of several murders. And look, it's happening to me too. Or murder oh, no. sprees, and look, it's happening to me too. Exactly. Uh. So, Ghostface, Ghostface, Scream, Scream, Scream is actually based on, like, stated as based on, on the Gainesville Ripper, mm-hmm. which is a real American serial killer who murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida over the course of four days in late August of 1990. He later confessed to raping several of his victims, uh, committing a triple homicide in Louisiana, and attempting to murder his father in May of 1990 as well. Um, In total, he killed eight people. And who is this person? Danny Rowling Mm -hmm. is his name. 
Um, Danny Rowling was born in uh, Shreveport, 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 Louisiana. Yeah. His father was a police officer named mm-hmm. James Rowling. Again, so many cop things. <laughs> Makes me nervous. <laughs> Who told Danny that he was unwanted from birth. And um, James Rowling also abused Danny's mom, of course. Claudia, as well as his brother, Kevin. Danny's school counselors described him as suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. That's, which that's would a later great become, mixture. Which would later become a problem. Good lord. Um, the Navy would not take him, and he was, uh, so he joined the Air Force. However, the military provided him no comfort. And he eventually quit the Air Force after um, too much drug use, which included taking acid more than a hundred times. Yeah, I want so this person serving dist- my country, not <laughs> not what the fuck, but also just deteriorating your brain. Um, following his discharge from the military, Danny managed to marry and begin what appeared to be a normal life as a teenager and young adult. Uh, Rowling was arrested several times for robberies in Georgia and was caught spying on a woman getting dressed. As an adult, he had trouble trying to assimilate into society and hold down a steady job. Of course. At one point, um, he was a waiter at Pancho's Restaurant in Shreveport. uh, But in May of 1990, he attempted to kill his father by shooting him. And uh, during a family argument... His father survived, but he lost an eye and an ear. Oh, my. So the cycle of abuse continued. Uh, At age 23, his wife of four, or Danny's wife of four years, uh, separated from him after he threatened to kill her. Uh, This was in 1977. Danny turned his devastation into anger and raped a woman who closely resembled his ex-wife. Later that year, he killed a woman in a car accident, which only further troubled him. So it was kind of, this is like a slow progression. Like he wasn't like doing serial killer shit as a kid, but he was angry and unhinged, abused, and then just a lot of bad shit kept happening, which was, I mean, not to him. Clearly, most of that was his doing. I'm sure, you know. Threatening to kill your wife is probably not great and will great. cause her to leave you. Yep. Um, raping a poor, innocent woman is not okay. Nope. And um, obviously, I don't know what caused the car accident. Um, I know that like guilt can be an issue if you right. accidentally kill someone in a car accident. Um, right. But b- based on his previous drug use, I would... Assume that the car accident might have been under the influence, but there I did not find anything on that, so right. I cannot for sure say. Um, in August of 1990, just a few months after he attempted to kill his dad, uh, Rowling murdered four University of Florida students and one Santa Fe Community College student in their apartments. He decapitated one victim, posed with some of the bodies, uh, or posed some of the bodies, and removed skin and body parts and arranged the murder scenes using props that included broken mirrors. Ugh. The macabre slangs began on August 24th of 1990 when Rowling broke into an apartment of 17-year-old university freshman 
Sanja Larson and Christina Powell. They were found mutilated and stabbed to death. He had raped both women. Uh, one was after she was dead. Mm-hmm. The next day, Rowling killed Hoy, uh, 18. Her body was found propped up, sitting on her bed, bent over at the waist. Uh, she was the one who was decapitated, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, news of the murders had spread across the whole university. Authorities put out as much information as they could to try and catch the suspect. And students slept in groups and took every precaution they could uh, think of. Despite this, the Gainesville Ripper killed one more time, though. Um, I will say, though, the news coverage that happened and the fact that people were, like, grouping up and taking all these precautions is is very similar to what happens in Scream when yep. Woodsboro basically, like, shuts down because of the killings and everyone's, like, staying in groups. Two days later, Rowling killed roommates Tracy Pauls and Manuel uh, Taboda, who were both 23. He remained at large until September 8th when he was arrested after a botched robbery. So they didn't even arrest him for the murders. They had no idea he had done it. They arrested him for like some ridiculous robbery that he tried pulling off. That's crazy. What what are the happenstances for that to happen? Like, holy cow. After Rowling was arrested, police in uh, Louisiana alerted. So after the after he was arrested and like confessed to like all these murders. Yep. Um, Louisiana alerted the authorities in Florida to um, unsolved to an unsolved triple murder in Shreveport uh, on November 4th of 1989. So uh, just a year, like just the year prior. Um, detectives noted that there were similarities between the Gainesville murders and those of 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter, Julie, and his 8-year-old grandson, Sean. The family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing for dinner. Afterwards, Julie Grissom's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed. Shortly before um, he was executed in Florida for the series of killings in Gainesville, Rowling claimed responsibility for this triple murder, handing the uh, police a handwritten confession and apology. Right before he was He did confess to it. One motive for his killing... Rowling later said in one of his confessions was that he wanted to become a superstar. Oh, boy. His tools were simple. His kabar knife, duct tape, and handgun, and a screwdriver for breaking in. Yep. Um, For his first double homicide in Gainesville, he didn't even need the screwdriver or gun when he saw that the door was already unlocked. So the news coverage and notoriety is something that plays a big role in the Scream franchise, like I said. As mm-hmm. also in the lore of Danny Johnson, who was a newspaper journalist and wrote about these murders. Nice. Um, and committed them. But, uh, of course, like, the whole superstar thing is being, like, a superstar as a killer. Like, Danny Rowling, like, idolized um, Ted Bundy and, of like, course. wanted to be as famous kind of thing. Um, yep. But that also kind of plays a role in Scream 4, where the niece wants to be well-known and famous. Of course, she didn't want to be famous for being the killer she wanted to be famous for being the victim the victim but she became the killer to become the victim it was a whole thing anyway um (laughs) so those are my three and yeah that's dead by daylight is based on a lot of fucked up shit a lot of fucked up shit but it makes a really fun game you know we're not here to, to debbie downer it but at the same time like real world inspirations make some really fucked up Pop culture shit, which is what we like to talk about. Correct. Uh, By the way, the Elmer Wayne Henley episode in Mindhunter 
is episode four in season two. Okay. So they that, that that's when that's when the Mind Hunter folks uh, interview uh, Elmer Wayne Henley. Gotcha. Um, okay, I'll yeah. have to go check it out. Yeah. Everyone else, go check it out too. Yep. I was disappointed with season two, but that you know that's that's for another day. I was a little disappointed with it, but um, I just I I'm sad that there's no more. Apparently, uh, we'll see. COVID, fix your shit. Yeah, come on. And by COVID, fix your shit, I mean America, fix your shit and take COVID seriously. Thanks. Thanks. um but thank you guys so much for listening uh we hope you enjoyed this spooky halloween episode hey our last our first episode was was halloween last year oh shit one year it was one year you're totally right we put it out on halloween and it was just a forest full of horror such a good episode it was really good Blair witch okay well we've come full circle we missed a few months but we've come full circle it's fine. I honestly, the fact that that we continue to do this and, and find good stories to talk about and people still want to listen and support us, that that's what we're here for. I mean, absolutely. A hundred percent. I'm so about it because this is super fun. It is. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to uh, subscribe or follow. Leave a review. Tell us what you think. Share it with your friends. Um, it is a bit longer than we usually do, but we had a lot of characters to cover. We had a lot of characters so, and we, we owe just some, some good content. So make sure that you're cooking an extra long meal while you're listening to this or have a really good run or do some crazy power drive. lifting or a long drive. Like, like this is, this is perfect for it. And make sure your jaw drops with ours because I'm sure you can hear it even if you can't see it. Well, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you or hear talk to you in the next (laughs) episode. Um, If you want to catch us when we're not doing this podcast, uh, you can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok under Little Red. And then for me, you can find me on uh, Twitch and Twitter uh, under Yebba Deba. Uh, Don't for I mean, forget the do, but you know, I know that you just said Yebba Deba do in your head, so it's fine. It's cool. Everybody (laughs) does it. Everybody does it. Oh, yeah. Have a wonderful Halloween. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe. Uh, finish off the year strong. Uh, you'll get through the election. Don't worry about it. And 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 we'll see you again soon. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Stay sleuthy. Stay sleuthy. Yeah.